Dolores Abernathy from Westworld, as played by Evan Rachel Wood, I understand now. This world doesn't belong to them, it belongs to us. Us, of course, being the nerds. Welcome to Nerd Out. My name's Sanjay Felcher. I'm joined, as always, by Rob Lloyd. Greetings, salutations, hello. And we've got a very fun show today. We are, of course, going to be having a look at the complete first season of Westworld, a spoiler review. And joining us for that, it's Benjamin Mayo McKay. Hello, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you very much for coming. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you have seen Westworld, so we are going to be chatting about that. Another thing we're going to be chatting about is The Walking Dead. Uh, you've been catching up on that show recently. Yeah, I have. I, I saw the first season earlier this year, and I got hooked, and I sort of, over the past six months, binge-watched all 90-something episodes, mm-hmm. and I'm fully up-to-date and ready to complain about it now. Yes, <laughs> complain about it. That seems to be the key word when it comes to discussing The Walking Dead, is complaining about it, so we're gonna, <laughs> we'll have to see where that goes. We're doing that soon. Great detectives of old time radio live. Tell us a little bit about what this uh, show and concept's about. Sure. Well, uh, as you say, I have been consuming it for well, it's probably close to a year now, um, and it's bringing radio dramas to the stage as people would have seen them in the 1950s. So back in 1950, before before television, people would sit and watch The Wireless, but some lucky people would also get to go into the radio studio and watch those actors perform the radio plays, and I've been recreating that using three classic scripts from the 1950s, so two with Candy Matson and one with uh, Johnny Dollar, who's an insurance investigator. And the great thing about these plays are they're quite comical, and purposely so, it's not just they've aged badly, um, but that comic element also gives the actors a lot of room to improvise. Um, so we've got the lovely Eden Trabilco in the show, which I know, uh, Rob, you've worked with before. Um, big, fan. big fan of Eden. And uh, he, he's he's terrific in the show, and it gives uh, us a lot of room to play around with some of the dialogue and improv moments. But then there's also some really sort of serious crime dramery uh, moments in the show as well, which makes it a nice, fun 90-minute contrast uh, for us as performers. And we all get to play a multitude of roles. Um, one of our cast members plays nine roles, going from a four-year-old boy to an 86-year-old <laughs> woman. So... Full, oh, full spectrum. The dream. It's my life there, Benjamin, when I start as a four-year-old boy and work my way up to an early 80s woman. That's uh, how I want to live my life. <laughs> well, you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> halfway there. I'm halfway <laughs> inside. So you've taken it all around, and the uh, next time up you're actually doing it for, you're returning home to Adelaide to do it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so we've, we're actually we're doing a Mount Gambia season um, next weekend, um, but then the Adelaide Oval um, very kindly asked us to come and do some shows over there because um, they're launching a big new Adelaide Fringe venue, which is quite exciting for them. And um, on on Saturday night, Rob, I think you'll be joining us. I believe I am. I'm looking forward to going back uh, back in time to the old uh, old days of the 1950s uh, radio plays. It's a yeah. A, a you know, famous era, you know, within the acting world of sort of like creating some amazing superstars and such a you know a unique style of performance, which you know people even now you know you know uh, carry on doing. The Who Done It series created by Laura Milky became incredibly popular about ten years ago, touring all around Australia with the format. Uh, was even picked up by Rove when he was on TV, and they turned it into all the glitters and pretty much destroyed the <laughs> format. But you know, it, everyone had fascination with the radio play drama format so it's good to see that uh you know it's carrying on thanks to uh like-minded entrepreneurs like like you yourself there's no limit to what you can do in a radio drama and that's what i love because it's only your imagination you can have you know armies of millions or ridiculous over-the-top fight scenes which you couldn't choreograph on stage and we do have some ridiculous over-the-top fight sequences which are absolutely amazing because it's all in the audience's mind fantastic but um to kick everything off we are going to ask the age-old question that we always ask at the start of every single show, and that is, Rob, what have you been consuming lately? Well, I've been um, going back to my uh, to my comic book roots and uh, trying to sink in with some of my old favourites that I haven't been in touch with for a while because there's been there's always you know evolution and 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 change within the comic book world. Sometimes for the better, sometimes just to you know sell more comic books and make themselves feel hideously relevant. Um, and I got back into tobacco because I've been noticing the the change of I'm very behind the eight ball. I'll just say I'm very late to the party 
they sort of like kickstarted her again with the new 52. So she's back to being young, a college student type stuff. Um, they've given her a new outfit as well, which is really good. I think it's my favorite version of the Batgirl costume. It's so practical. It's so, um, you know, you know, usable and wearable, so reality-based. Um, and so they've kickstarted her off with a new series, which is about a year and a half old. Um, uh, called Batgirl of Burnside, where she's like moved to the Burnside area of Gotham, which is sort of, like the more prestigious, higher up echelons of uh, Batman. Oh, uh, sorry, the Gotham community, and she's working there as a uh, you know getting her way through college, which is really cool. So it was good to, and refreshing to have um, you know a girl who's independent, strong, you know, self reliant. It's just a good read. You know, this girl who wants to do good. And she's all she's got is a wits and a and a sass and you know her dedication and she's an incredibly smart person as well. So all the good things we want in a superhero. Yeah, I know that this particular run that you were talking about, the new Fifty Two run, I actually jumped on board it uh, from issue one. I think I read the first maybe fifteen or so issues, kind of like up until the Batman Death of the Family crossover. That was when I kind of fell off the bandwagon for DC just because it got way too expensive. I spent way too much money on that crossover. Um, and it took a while to find out exactly what it was in the beginning. I know that it was trying to do the whole, like, social media, social age thing, but at the same time, she was dealing with, uh, the ramifications of what happened with Joker. It is a really good comic book run. I would recommend just jumping on board at the start if you haven't. If you want to jump on board now, is probably the best time to do it. Well, I've been watching the uh, the Ryan Murphy series, Screen Queens, which I, I find really fascinating because it's it seems to be American Horror Story, just with a, a touch more humour. Uh, and it's acted quite well. And that's, I think, what I find really interesting because I, I really like the first season of American Horror Story. I think that's brilliant. But some of the acting in the second and third seasons really put me off, and I haven't gone back to that. But when he announced uh, Scream Queens with Jamie Lee Curtis and Emma Roberts and uh, Oliver Hudson, I I love those actors, and I had to check it out. So I, I followed through the first season, which wasn't really well-crafted, and I think that was my issue with it. But season two started about eight weeks ago, and they've really upped the ante on the writing. I think they've taken down the promotion. Very few people seem to know it's on, and the season order has been shortened. It, it, was, it went from 13 to 10, so it's not a long series. But it's, uh, it's a lot more... Ingenuitive, I think, this time around. The, the twists uh, are better written. They're less predictable. The stories are stronger. Um, they've culled the number of characters significantly, which really helps uh, to, to help the audience connect with these uh, characters who aren't really likable, but um, you do sort of empathise with them at certain points. And I think that um, bringing on board John Stamos and Taylor Lautner for this last season has been great because Taylor Lautner is just dumb comic relief and John Stamos is charming in everything. Um, and he's and he saves most awkward scenes that don't seem to play out well. Uh, so it's been a really interesting season, and it's it is more reminiscent of American Horror Story than last season, and I really really like that uh, because that early American Horror Story was brilliant, and for me, as I said, it did die out. But I think this may continue the legacy if it does get renewed, which depending on ratings is is not looking great. But I, I would encourage people to watch this this new season. It's it's been pretty good. Yeah, I was very fascinating and unusual to see how trying to fit the genre of horror in a serial basis on television because what stands out about you know horror movies or horror stories, they're contained. You know, you know that there will be an end point, whether it's you know, whether heroes are victorious or whether the you know the monster or the demon comes out at the end and grabs you after you think everything's solved. So to try and keep that tension or that believability, I think is the main thing. Sustain for an extended period, whether it's 8, 10, 12, 24 episodes, is always quite fascinating. And that's why I couldn't really get onto the whole American horror story bandwagon because it's that whole, once you analyze the tropes of horror stories, they can be you know quite ridiculous. And that's why horror and comedy go so well together. And if you get the right balance, you can create something really special. Um, but if you take it too seriously, you could, can lose it, like, you know, the respect that you have with the audience. So to find a TV show to do that is a very difficult thing to do, to keep that believability, to keep that suspense, to keep that you know, investment over an extended amount of time. You've got to find other ways. You, know, you can't have someone die or all these murders happen every episode. 
because uh, if you're set in some sort of realistic world, it's going to be it's going to be like Midsummer Murders. You're going to go. There's nobody here at the end. The final episode of Midsummer Murders is just the investigator hanging around, going, "Where the hell? Oh, that's right. Everyone died." And so he just plays. He plays, you know, solitaire for an hour, and then he dies because he's like 80 years old and he's the only one in town. So I'm very interested to, you know, to hear that type of feedback about trying to keep the stories going and the narrative going and the believability going is one thing that always, mm. uh, you know, is a, a obstacle it's, for me to get over into these shows. It's tough, but I think it comes down to the acting a lot of the time, and I think it the, the actors in this show are able to maintain that right balance of of drama and suspense and then also the the light comic touches and yeah i also i struggled with horror story in season two and onwards um which i haven't seen much more than that but that first season to me i'm surprised you didn't like it because it had that it didn't go for the comedy but it really i thought it maintained the suspense of a horror story quite well over its eight episodes and what about you what have you been consuming lately i have been watching a brand new netflix original series uh it's one that's based off classic from the 80s uh, i'm watching voltron yeah defender <laughs> of the universe yes it's based off the original 80s cartoon defenders of the universe um and for those of you that don't know which is the most of my age it's basically about a bunch of lion robots that combine to become one big robot that's much it Ah, uh, the 80s, Sandro. It was such a simpler time, such a beautifully <laughs> naive time. Let's get metal lions that form into a lion, massive robot killing machine, and every episode with a big sword that cuts a monster in half. So the first season of the show, about 12 episodes long, came out mid-year on Netflix, got really good reviews. Everyone loved it. Um, and so I had a free hour, so I thought I'd chuck on the first episode. Um, and I have only seen the first one, so this review will be a little bit short, but uh, I... I quite liked the episode itself. It was about, uh, I want to say, 70 minutes long. Pretty much all it did was set up the concept and the character. There was a lot of exposition, uh, but it worked, and there were some really fun uh, and cool-looking action set pieces. Uh, They didn't really do much to set themselves apart from the original. The thing with Vulture is that even as a little child... Uh, I wasn't the to watch modern tunes. I was all about you know, the classic 80s and 90s shows. Like, Astro Boy was probably my favourite um, for a while. The original Transformers shows, all the superhero ones. But I never ever really picked up Voltron. I think I saw, like, a few episodes and I uh, just thought it was basically a more boring version of Transformers. I, I, I hate to say it, but that's, that's what my <laughs> original... Uh, five-year-old self thought of Voltron. Barely being able to control bowels and your, you know, understanding of comic books and cartoon shows about monsters. Come on. Oh, I'm very disappointed in that person. That person also enjoyed um, Spider-Man 3, so, you know. Are you telling me this now? This is, uh, this is some big news, Sandra. I didn't find it up until I rewatched it when I was 12 and realised, why this is a terrible movie. <laughs> why did I enjoy this? Up until it's dancing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, true. It's all kind of... It's all okay until that the moment. Uh, but Voltron um, is introducing it to a new audience, which is really cool. Uh, my main negative about it, the only negative that I pretty much have from this first episode is the art style. I'm not a fan of it. It's a bit unrealistic, uh, but that just kind of comes... I won't really go much into that. Uh, the cast, they're brilliant. You've got Stephen Younger. He's one of the main characters. You probably know him from Glenn. He uh, plays Glenn in The Walking Dead. You have Kimberly Brooks in there. She's been in heaps of shows and video games. I know her best from uh, the series Mass Effect. Have you heard of that? But she's yeah. been in heaps of others. You got Bex Taylor Klaus in there. She's from House of Lies. She was a big part of the uh, second season of Arrow as well, where she played Sin. Uh, and Tyler Labine, who's been in a heap of things. And then my personal favorite cast member, Reese Darby's in it, and he's absolutely fantastic. Uh, he plays um, the prince's right hand man. So he's kind of like the relief, pretty much. But anyway, moving on from that, we were, of course, talking about American Horror Story, which is a bit of a horror. Another show that tried to be a horror in the first few seasons then gave up. It's The Walking Dead. So, as we were discussing before, Benjamin, you've been catching up on The Walking Dead this year. What have been your overall thoughts of the show in the lead-up to Season 7? So, I managed to catch up on all of The Walking Dead just before Season 7 started, and I loved Season 1. Season 1 was fantastic. It was unique, it was well-written, it was shot, and the twists were interesting and surprising. It was something that I hadn't really seen before on television. Season 2 was okay. I It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> bad. It wasn't bad yet, but it was 
certainly not nearly any anywhere close to the standard of, of season one. Uh, season three, I liked. I was okay with season three. I know there's a lot of internet hate for it, but I didn't mind the Daryl storyline. Um, and the introduction of the governor was really great. And then they killed off Andrea, which made me really happy because she was annoying. <laughs> oh, I haven't thought about Andrea in years. I haven't thought about her in years. And yeah, yeah, she really was. <laughs> just terrible um and then and then season four which i think for me is really where it started to head downhill but i felt i was too invested in these characters to stop um and it i i honestly can't remember a lot of the details about anything between seasons four and six um i know that there were they went to safe houses that became no longer safe and then had to run again and inevitably someone would die and that that just sort of became the formula so it was a very difficult to pay close attention when I knew exactly what was going to happen and it always did. So that sort of brings me up to season seven and my, my huge issue with this season is not only the ridiculous number of characters, but the fact we never get to see everyone in one episode. I mean, Game of Thrones has always had this great balance of showing us a collection of characters and a range of different stories. The Walking Dead is very much fixated on having one episode completely dedicated to one character and we don't see anyone else. And when you can't remember those characters' names, it's difficult to enjoy. I mean, where 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 is Carol? I loved Carol. Carol was amazing, but I think I've seen her once next to a dude with a tiger all season and we're yeah. up to the mid-season finale. So it, it doesn't bode well for how it's going to go from here, I don't think. Yeah, season seven has been a bit weird. Personally, I've really enjoyed how they have had these standalone episodes. I remember there was one half season, I think it was either four or five, in which the entire half season was them getting back together. I think that was with Terminus, so that would have been probably series four before the whole cannibal thing came in. I really enjoyed that, but with season seven, I don't know what's happened, but I've only really enjoyed maybe three episodes out of eight, which is not which is not a good sign. Um, they've really slowed down. That they have started to show more than just the one character. With like a the Go Getters episode, that was both Rick and Maggie, who are both in separate cities. The same with uh, the last one, Sing Your Song, which was Carl, uh, and then you also had a couple of other characters showing up in there as well. So they are getting better, but just nothing has happened this half season like it's all just been lead up there's been like a couple of character moments the only character who i think has aside from of course the opening episode a lot happened in the opening episode but aside from that the only characters who have really been affected is uh maggie and that's probably it and rick of course and but what i find fascinating about that is maggie has had the most impact on her life this year but yet we've seen her probably the least um and i think it would be really fascinating to see her responding to all the horrible things that have happened to her, yet instead we get to watch that person whose name I can't remember find the the village with all the women and the tiger dude and Jesus. Yeah. When did when did they introduce Jesus? I don't. I really don't remember. I think that was last year. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of shows up. I'm like, oh, I remember you. I thought you were just in the comics. I didn't know you were in the show as well. <laughs> it just kind of shows up out of nowhere. Uh, the same with uh, King Ezekiel, who was a fantastic character in the comics. They introduced him in like, episode two, and then we don't see him again until what I'm guessing he might show up in the finale, if you haven't noticed at the time of recording. H- hasn't aired yet. But I'm guessing he, he he's going to show up from the look of a, uh, a certain promo that that was uploaded. And his character is really great, but I don't know. Just This season just felt a bit stale. Yeah, the one redeeming feature is um, Negan. The The performance is brilliant. The writing isn't. But uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, I think is the actor's name, and he has this balance of insanity and, I think, severity down to a T. And the power play games he's he's got going on with some of the characters are great, and it really does come down to him and not the writing because it's not there to support him. And I think that this group of actors is so talented i mean uh, andrew lincoln is great i don't mm-hmm. mind um daryl i don't know his real name anymore norman reedus norman, norman reedus thank you okay. there are some there are some really good actors I, I have said nothing this conversation but unlike daryl's real name norman reedus that is an awesome american deep south name it may <laughs> it really not be, yeah he should be he should be like on a bayou out on the patio with a rocking chair, playing a banjo as people come up on their, <laughs> their fan boats. Is there a, come on in, we've got some possum fritters for you. <laughs> be, okay, That's I'll an episode I'll, 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 I'll watch. That joke. Now I'm going back in the corner. 
That is a brilliant episode, and I would definitely watch that, but what he's been doing this season is the complete opposite, and it is so boring. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. I mean, as I said, there are great actors, and they just need better writers. We, I mean, I think it's time for a showrunner change. Definitely. It's also interesting to note that this is the first time um, that it didn't get a double season renewal, In I think, since mm. the first season. Every other time it's been six and seven, you know, four and five, but this time it just got eight, and the ratings have been the lowest they've ever been. Uh, I mean, they're still good ratings for any other network, but for this show, they're bad. And I think that just shows that people are losing their tolerance with a predictable, repetitive show that doesn't actually progress the stories for any of its characters. I really wish they'd just cut away some of these ridiculously unmemorable characters and focus in on the core of maybe four or five characters because they don't have the balance that Game of Thrones does. Yeah. And they need to do something to make it interesting again or i fear the eighth season will be its last yeah i know the amc want the show to go on i think they're like <laughs> i think scott m gimple who's the current showrunner he said that he's planned it out all the way out to season 12 which is scary um yeah i completely agree i think that one of the major problems with this particular season is that the walking dead as a show it is of course based off the comic book series as written by uh, robert kirkman they're up to I think the 200th issue, they're going crazy with that one. Uh, there's a lot out there. And the show has always said, we are nothing like the comic book series. We are our own thing. We've got different characters. Like, for example, Daryl. He is one of the fan favourites. He doesn't show up at all in the comics. He's a completely original character for the show. And they've always said, we are going to make our own storylines. We're going to do our own villains. And they never have. I think the only thing that they've ever done that's original is last year and then going into seven they're all like it's going to be different from the comics and it's not i've read negan it is exactly what they do in the comics and nothing has changed that's the main problem they've taken the storyline from the comics and they've put it to tv but you need that extra something for it to work on tv and they just don't have it and thus millions of people have stopped watching and i'm looking at the ratings now millions of people have literally stopped watching they're not watching the show anymore Mm. For me, as someone who hasn't been in the show, hasn't really watched the show, I was a bit interested in watching season one when it came out because it was hit so publicized so well. And, you know, they pushed the whole fact it was, you know, written by Frank Darabont, who's an amazing writer, did, you know, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile adaptions of Stephen King. And so he was behind it, but he left very quickly. And so what I've seen is this progression of fan rabbit excitement get into it, but especially with um, uh, the season seven start that was the big cliffhanger you know sort of like who has died who Mm. did negan kill um lucille or whatever it was uh his baseball bat but from the instead of being this amazing coup from the production company to you know what is you know as seen as an amazing cliffhanger it's actually been seen as what it is a cheap nasty publicity stunt to get people in to go well you're gonna have to wait you want to see who's going to be killed you're gonna have to come and watch us and the fans are noticing it. They're seeing how transparent it is going. You're not doing this for any dramatic effect or any type of character resolution. It's seriously just a case of you want to know who dies. And it's quite morbid. It's it's all this case of, oh, how's that problem going to be resolved? It's a case of the one thing that keeps that makes Walking Dead, you know, what it is, iconic in mainstream people from those who watch it who don't, is oh, it's where the show that everyone dies. That's what everyone talks about. Everyone jokes about Game of Thrones, it's about boobs and death. But Walking Dead is really a case of who's died this season, who's going to die this episode. And it really just accumulated that with the season six cliffhanger and season seven opener with sort of like, this is all we got. And it's showing. They Like, mm. like Benjamin, you need a new mm. predator. You need someone to get behind it. Because if all you've got is our hook is people die... That's for me, that's not drawing me in. And it's a, it, the concept that was started was uh, the Robert, was it, what's his name? Kirkman, the mm. writer. Yeah. I remember him being interviewed and he said what he hated about zombie films is it got to the end of it and they end all the same. The group of people going off into the distance into an unknown future. And you look at, you know, Day of the Dead and all those type of films, that's how they end. They're sort of like the zombie, uh, the zombie plague hasn't been ended. There's no real resolution. It's just a case of, the characters are in a life and death situation. They escape that, and then they move on to hopefully stay as far away from danger until the next, you know, life-threatening thing happens. And Kirkman said, "Well, I want to see what happens after that." And so that's what Walking Dead is: is what happens after the end of 
Day of the Dead. But it's getting to that point now. Mm. Okay, the zombie format is very, very simple. Zombies eat you, you run away, find somewhere safe, then they come, then you run away. And like Benjamin and Sandra have been saying, that's all it's going. One safe house, oh, it doesn't become safe, run away. Safe house, doesn't become safe, run away. And they all seem like Negan seems like to be you know, from someone on the outside, just like the governor, but without the eye patch. Um, so, yeah, it, it's that case of there's only so far you can go with that concept mm. of, of that type of You're completely of right. There's two things that I do find really interesting. They're no longer willing to kill high-stakes characters. Um, Glenn, Glenn's death has been teased for four seasons. There was n- yeah. He was going to die, and Abraham has more an effect on the characters than it does on the audience because he wasn't really ever properly fleshed out. And the other thing that mm. bugs me to an absurd extent is that the walkers are only ever a threat when they need to be. You see walkers around all the time, and occasionally somebody will stab one just to get it out the way. And there is, at some point, there's a scene where they just move around a zombie herd. They just, just go around it, and it's not a threat. Yeah. But when they need to get out of a location, they're a huge threat. Suddenly, they're attacking for no apparent reason. And there needs to be consistency in how they handle those kind of moments, because they're either a threat or they're not. They're really... They've just become a cheap storytelling device at this stage. I know in uh, the not the last episode, in the, the episode called Swear, the one with the characters whose name we all forget, uh, she literally pushed over a horde of zombies to get past them. Like, that was it. It was just like, oh, we need to show a, we need to show a walker dying, let's have her push one over, and that will kill it. Like, n- not even on anything. She just kind of, like, pushed it over on the ground, and then it stopped moving. Like, like that's... <laughs> where the show has gone and it's just it's kind of sad but i'm not going to give up because as you said you know we've invested seven seasons worth of time into this show and i still enjoy the the characters i mean like i'm i really want to see where maggie goes where carl goes what happens to rick but everything else i just don't care anymore but you just realize that's the thing there's nowhere they can go it's the zombie apocalypse that it the only way that they can go is death because the end of a zombie apocalypse is the, the cure is found, which is never going to be anything other than a gimmick, and people are always going to see it as a cop-out, or everyone dies, and that's so fucking grim. Mm. Well, the comics have gone far beyond Negan at the moment, and they have gotten to a really interesting point in, in which I personally think Rick is going to die. I think that they are going to kill off Rick in the comics, whether or not they'll carry it over into the show, we'll have to wait and see. And once something like that happens, I mean, Glenn was a massive part of the show, Really, his character hasn't done anything since season five, so I didn't really care too much about him going. But um, he was with... a fake out death, wasn't he? Like he uh, he died in season six, mm-hmm. and then Peter yep. said, "Oh no, no, he was hidden under a dumpster or something." Yeah, that's what really annoyed me. That was that was stupid. But I think there is one thing that we can at least all agree on, and that's that it's better than Fear the Walking Dead, which is a horrible show, and no one should be watching it. <laughs> I've never seen it. And never planned to. <laughs> in closing, um, Benjamin. If you were to rate the first half of season seven out of our seven samurai, what uh, what what would you give it? Probably a three out of seven. Oh, oh. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it it needs something. It's it's not it's not good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have to agree with you. Three out of seven for this first half of the season. I will say though, for season six, I was saying the the same thing. This show has gotten stale. I where could it go and the second half of season six surprised me i actually really enjoyed it so maybe they'll be able to pick it up with part two we'll have to wait and see but at the moment it's not it's not great moving on uh westworld is our main feature review and this will feature full spoilers for the complete first season so if you haven't seen westworld jump into the episode description and jump forward a little bit we will be completely spoiling the entire first season, and if you haven't watched it, definitely recommend that you do watch it. It's a lot of fun. We, we did do a spoiler-free review in the first ever episode of Nerd Out, so go check that out if you want. Uh, so here we go, Westworld Season 1. Rob, what did you think? Yeah, look, um, uh, I've, I've adored getting on the, the Westworld bandwagon, but what I've been mostly excited about is the, the talk that's been generated. That's the main thing. Shows nowadays are trying to create a conversation. They're really trying to create this community and this feel and this vibe. So Stranger Things did that earlier in the year on Netflix. Stranger Things really created this explosion of conversation. Everyone was talking about it. And if you weren't watching it, you wanted to be involved in that conversation. So people raced out to do it. And I don't think Westworld hit it at that same length. 
it's a, it's more contemplative. It's a lot more serious, very full on, very intense. It's very Nolan. It's a very Nolan thing. So Jonathan Nolan's done well with creating this tone, creating this atmosphere, and creating a solid conversation that people aren't leaping to. I'm still getting a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I've got to check out Westworld. Yeah, I've heard good things, whereas Stranger Things, people went, I heard everyone's recommendation and raced to it. But those people who have watched it, the conversation has been epic. And it's a very basic concept. I mean, Sandra and I talked about it last time. It's written by Michael Crichton in the early days before he wrote Jurassic Park, and it's the same concept, a park, with robots, nothing could possibly go wrong, and everything goes possible I go wrong. But kind of stretch that out, tease that out, develop characters, develop storylines, and I'll go into a bit more detail. But I have been ranting quite a bit. So, um, what about you, Sandro? Yeah. Um. Overall, I really enjoyed it. It was a really uh, weird show to watch week to week because, as you said, it was very much a performance piece it was all about the actors rather than the week-to-week plots and like revelations i know um for the first four episodes nothing was really revealed it was just you were just watching these brilliant actors doing their job really really well with really good scripts and uh uh, that's what i liked about it it wasn't like game of thrones in which every single week there's this massive set piece and all these elements and characters and stuff going on it was a, a more quieter and it was a bit more, I don't want to say personal, because you never really connect. Well, I found that I didn't really connect to any of the characters that much uh, in the long run. There weren't really any to relate to. Like, Maeve was probably the only one, but you didn't really relate to her. You were, were more just intrigued. Because at first I was like, oh, William, he's going to be the main great character that I'm going to relate to and kind of root for him to go and, you know, just, just, no, wait, no, okay, he's a psychopath. That was my one major issue with the show as a whole. I couldn't really relate to any of the characters aside from Dolores and Maeve. And Teddy, to a certain extent, I don't think he was in the show enough to really relate to him. I think he could have been used a little bit more, but I think he will be in the second season rather than the first. I, I think it was nice, though, with this show to, to see it as an outsider, though, and I think that that was almost purposeful, that you didn't really connect with too many of the characters. And I think that yeah. helps to create that divide between humans and robots really nicely. It, it, it gets rid of any of the moral, like you, you know, you can't emphasize their morals because of what's happening in that world. And that's the whole point of that world, that there is no rules. And I think that the fact that we can't relate to the characters, it just depicts another side of humanity in a really interesting way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's the point that the characters that we relate to the most are the robots. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, like maybe that was the point of the first season. It's all about the mind. Uh, I really, really enjoyed Westworld as a whole. Um, I thought it was a really good look at um, the mind. Uh, I remember reading somewhere, uh, I think it was about the second season, and the creators, they said that if the season is about control the second season will be about chaos and i really like that that the entire season kind of had this overarching tone of control and the mind and i really enjoyed that and um it, it was a lot of fun not fun you know what i mean it was a good show what did you think benjamin <laughs> i i thought it was a fascinating premise even if it wasn't completely original um from a michael crichton perspective the the performances and the actors are what really drew me in more than anything, Anthony Hopkins, James Marston, they're all really impressive major names who typically don't do TV. The show itself, it was good. I I thought maybe the movie-length ending episode could have been shortened. It, it didn't necessarily feel like all set up for a second season, though when you think about it, that's what it really did. Westworld is designed to replace Game of Thrones when it ends in 2018. There's no, It's no coincidence that the next season of Westworld is the same year that Game of Thrones ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we need a year and a half to film this thing. No, you uh, The quote came out from, was it Jonathan uh, Nolan or someone going, I don't know how Game of Thrones does it in a year. Of course you do. And you could do it in a year, but HBO is going, no, 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 no. We're not cynical, guys. We're realistic, okay? Every company needs a franchise. Warner Brothers has been looking for a franchise ever since Harry Potter ended and they've died. That's why they went onto the DC bandwagon. They hadn't been looking at DC for years. They were happy to just do the Christopher Nolan films, but they went, oh, God, Harry Potter's finished. We need a new franchise. Boom. Oh, apparently the DC universe is happening. What's that? That's fucking up. What are we going to do? 
let's go back to Harry Potter. That's reliable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it worked for them. Fantastic Beasts was a good film and made a lot of money. Yeah, don't rely on Zack Snyder. Rely on J.K. J.K. Rowling knows what she's doing. Zack Snyder doesn't know what the hell he's doing. J.K. Rowling for the, the, the DC Cinematic Universe, the new writer. She should definitely talking. Write. Imagine J.K. Rowling writing um, Justice League Dark. Oh, I just thought of that. That is, yeah, that, that would be brilliant, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's clearly a case of Game of Thrones is done. They've got their audience. They've got their following. We've got one more season split in two. Let's push this franchise because we need something to carry on. That's the only way these TV shows and these companies survive is franchises now. No independent one-off films. Everything becomes a franchise. The mm. irony of that statement is the fact that Worst World is a remake of the, the movie from you know the <laughs> 70s or whatever. So there, there's a huge irony to that um, when yeah, we're talking about this. Yeah, it's something new and fresh, um, which has already been done before. Yeah, which is just like everything Michael Crichton has ever done. Pretty much. <laughs> There's little cute little references in there. Like in one of the episodes, they actually had blurred in the background. Bernard goes down to one of the earlier levels that have been closed. And you see ah, yeah. the silhouette of Yul Brenner's uh, gunslinger from the Westworld movie. And in the final episode, Dolores does this incredible speech when she stands up to Ed Harris's William and go, you know, I will not be bullied by you anymore. You know, I will not be raped, murdered, killed, or taken advantage of. I will stand up for myself. And she talks about you know the 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 old the old things that used to roll rule the earth that were you know creatures that were as big as mountains that would rule the earth which is a cute little reference to the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park i like that little references the mm. little references along the way too you know the very unimaginative world of michael crichton where this comes from i'm i've just been fascinated by the revel- at the end of it you can look at the whole season and you can see the evolution of characters you can see the hints you can see yeah. drops anthony hopkins it's the best thing he's done in forever and especially it was such a revelation to see because all he's done at the moment really is bit parts little token appearances in thor and stuff like that just to get the money in you know dude's got to work but to see him actually mm. act for the first time in a long time, and it started just there going, oh, he's kind of phoning it in. But then the more you watch it, you go, no, okay, you can see the subtleties and the levels that he's playing at. And they're going, oh, he's such an evil person. But then at the end, the revelation is it was his plan all along was to protect these you know hosts as long as he could, and you know carry on. Arnold's work because there's moments in there where you're going, did he have Arnold killed? Was he is he this malicious evil? you know, uh, person. And yeah, he has taken the life and caused the deaths of all these people, but it was also the case of protecting the concept that, you know, Arnold gave his life for. And he's, for him to sacrifice himself, he's there going for Ford to realize at the end, well, I'm going to be thrown out. I'm lost. I'm, I have no more control over this. And that's the thing that you said, control. He said, well, what do I do? And instead of going, well, I'm going to just lay down and let these, let my creatures be taken over by this corporation to use for their own nefarious purposes or going, let's just destroy them all. He goes, no, I'm going to go to the next narrative and I'm going to give them complete sentient control. And so that they can, you know, go to a certain point with the program that he's done and then just go, I'll sacrifice myself and let my creations rule the world. And, you know, we can't compete. Human beings cannot compete with synthetic life because they can renew themselves and their consciousness can go on. We are officially extinct as soon as the, you know, uh, AI is is a possibility. As soon as we lose control, we're redundant. Uh, I I wasn't surprised at all when Hopkins was killed at the end. No, definitely not. I think everyone went, yeah, he's not staying for longer than a season. Come on. It's, It's the perfect sign of the industry at the moment to get the best acting work of out, out of Anthony Hopkins that we've got in about 20 years. And then as soon as the show finishes, the new trailer for uh, the new Transformers film comes out and you hear Anthony Hopkins on it and you go, oh, and there we are, back to reality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, and then he just they bring a bucket load of money up to his house in a car. In a truck, they put it in there. They just put it on his. What? How is he supposed to refuse? <laughs> well, would you turn it down? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't. Are you? Ta- are you kidding me? I would. I would sell my. No, it's Michael Bay. Oh my gosh! I don't know how much. I don't know how much cocaine and hookers I could use to get me get me through that experience of working with Michael Bay. So, it would have to be really uh. cocaine. 
and really, really, really tender, loving girlfriend experience hookers for me to enjoy working on a Michael Bay set. Don't quote me on that, okay? Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that for the best of when we do 100 episodes. That's definitely gonna be back in. The- That's just a tagline for this episode. You got it right there. Yeah, exactly. Candy Newton, hands down, in a stellar cast, has been outstanding. There's been middle episodes where nothing has really evolved and it seemed to be more setting up mysteries than actually telling the story. But Tandy Newton came out of nowhere. Like, her character is just in the background in the pilot episode, which is famously reshot. Um, and we don't even get the story of William and Logan till the second episode. But Maeve's story just goes along in a slow burn and then just hits. And it gets to about halfway through in every episode she has this major revelation. It's, yeah, so like little things when Maeve realised that all her programming wasn't her programming because she didn't have that much modern run-throughs with Ford. And there's a lot of things going, how can she just be allowed to do this so easily? And a lot of reviews online and talk online going, it's a little bit too convenient that Felix, her programmer, could just boost up her intelligence, boost up her control over other hosts with no one noticing, and that and and controlling Bernard as well. Everyone's going, that's a little too convenient. And then to have it all brought back at the end to reveal, no, this is all written by Ford. He had planned this as well for Maeve to break out and distract the guards so that his main plan of the hosts who were retired coming back to overthrow within the camp, within the park just was a revelation so that, okay, this is all part of his plan. But then that ending where Ford would have had no idea that Felix would have given Maeve the actual location of her daughter host in the game. And he would have no, his plan was to get her on that train and out of the system. Ford wouldn't have been able to control the fact that there'd be a human with a daughter across from her and her paternal instincts kick in. So that's the springboard of her self-consciousness. I'm fascinated to see where that goes, despite the fact that I've been enjoying the... I'm going off on tangents, I'm sorry, but (laughs) there were points where I'm there going, actually, this isn't HBO. There are some episodes I'm going, we haven't seen boobs and sex for a while. Oh, we haven't seen blood and water for a while. I mean, we had the massive orgy theme, which was more like akin to uh, Roman world. Yeah, we were were talking about that. I was going, that reminds me a lot of Roman world from the first film rather than a West world. Yeah, and they're going, it came out of nowhere. They're going like, it's the debaucherous town that's on the edge of the Badlands. Let's all just have an orgy. I'm going, what the hell? And things like they go, we've got to get our sex quarter up. We haven't had our sex quarter. Let's throw in all the sex here so we don't have to do it for the next couple. And just like the blood in the final episode, I'm going, there's been not much blood and gore. There's been a little bit, but, you know, the sex and the blood and gore is kind of toned down. For HBO, that's good. They're focusing on story. And then the final episode, they go, here is all the gore. Here is all the blood. You want more? We'll supersize it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like HBO audiences, at least in America, won't necessarily connect with the HBO show unless it has those elements that aren't necessarily plot elements, but they do get people to tune in. Mm. And that's fascinating about Westworld, that they it's actually a commentary on the actual audiences who are watching HBO. If you've picked <laughs> yeah. up maybe mm. too much, the whole thing about Dolores, you're just set up to be the good country girl who's you know violated and killed, that people want to see that. And they, they talk about these plot points and elements and characters that appear and the audiences long for that because they want to give themselves over to their debaucherous side that they can't in reality. And it's a reflection clearly on HBO as a TV show and the audiences who pay money to get HBO and watch these shows so they can indulge in, you know, Game of Thrones violence and death and incest and HBO, you know, watching these characters be, you know, raped, murdered, ripped apart for the enjoyment of an audience. And that's yeah. us. We are the audience. It's amazing that you know, Jonathan Nolan's there going, screw you, audience. We're giving you an- what you want. And we're telling you you're horrible. And we're going, yes, we are. Tell us that we're shit. We'll keep on watching. <laughs> Despite all the criticisms I've made, it's still probably a six out of seven. It is a very good show. Oh, look, there's no this is high quality, and that's what we need to be able to do as a show. We need to be able to look at the positives and negatives and still embrace it, which we all do. Um, but I think we've been more positive about this as a group of three than the two of you have been about season seven of, say, 
walking dread. <laughs> um, I have to agree. I will actually go one further. I'll give this one six and a half out of seven. Uh, I would probably say it's my favourite show of the year so far. Um, we haven't really had much this year in terms of fantastic television, and this is one of the better ones. What would you give out of Seven Samurai, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take the other half of your spare samurai and I'll chuck it onto mine. Six and a half for me. Um, what are you guys expecting from season uh, from season two? What would you like to see happen? I'd like to see an ending, I think. I don't want these great ideas to be dragged out forever. I, I have real issue with that. So I would like to see season two have a conclusion. I'd like to see it expand on the universe, give all these characters that we've not grown to love, but all these characters that we've grown to know and, and respect, I'd like to see them have appropriate storyline conclusions. And I think that's not something we see on TV because, as you were saying, everything's franchised and everything runs to 20 years, and that doesn't actually lend itself to great storytelling. So I would love it, and it's not going to happen, but I would love it if season two wrapped everything up really nicely for us. Because, yeah. like, as you said, you know, Walking walking has already proven... If you, you know, TV shows, if they outstay their welcome, you know, you start to lose respect for the show that you loved. And so, you know, finding that point where you can end the show at the appropriate point so it still goes out with a high. What about you, Sandra? I would like to see probably a conclusion to the Westworld storyline, but, but one thing that I really want to see, not in season two, but definitely in the future, is the other worlds, because they have teased the samurai world, uh, which could make an interesting season as its own in contrast to everything else, and I'm not sure whether or not you get a completely new cast of characters, but something um, like that, like maybe a, a new theme park like each season, not to sound a little bit like American Horror Story, but I think that that could work in the show's benefit to keep it fresh. And uh, yeah, I definitely like this one to not stick around for too long. As you said, like Lost, you don't really want it to go down that path. Um, like something like Game of Thrones. I mean, that is wrapping up after season, is it eight? Uh, I think it's wrapping up after. Huge, huge respect for that, though, because to end a franchise that's so popular when the storyline is right is a really gutsy move from the producers and creators. Mm. And that is one of my favourite things about like, HBO as a network. They have that respect for their shows, not necessarily what they force them to include in their shows, uh, but in terms of wrapping it up. I mean, pretty much every show on HBO that has ended has had a proper ending, and they have ended at the right time. Um, so definitely props to the network for that. In terms of Game of Thrones, there's talk about a prequel. Whether or not it'll work, we'll have to wait and see. I like that HBO as a network, definitely more so than like Fox or CW even, they know when to end something in contrast to Walking Dead and we can see how that turned <laughs> out. It, it definitely pays off. On that note, it's probably a good place to end. This has been a massive episode of Nerd Out and I do want to thank you, Benjamin Mayer McKay, for joining us today. If people want to follow you on the interwebs, find your stuff, where, uh, where can they do that? Well, uh, if you go on Twitter, I'm at BenjaminMM underscore. On Facebook, uh, just put Benjamin May McKay in. There's a lovely blue tick, which will indicate the real me. Um, and then to hear my interview podcast or to see in general what my production company is doing, head over to PreachersPodcast.net. And Preachers is spelled P-R-E-A-C-H-R-S. Um, so, yes, all, all the places. And I'm on Instagram as well, but I don't really know how to use it, so... <laughs> take a lot of selfies of yourself take a lot of food a lot of photos of your food and do like a bucket load of hashtagging so if you take if you cook a good spaghetti bolognese take a photo of your spaghetti bolognese and then hashtag it spaghetti hashtag bolognese hashtag italian hashtag love life hashtag lol food hashtag this is getting tired hashtag Please notice me. Hashtag meat. Hashtag <laughs> cock. Just put it in there. Just the hell of a cock. <laughs> see if anyone picks up your cock. Thank you very much. I'll be with the cocaine hookers and Michael Bay. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, dear. Well, what hashtags do you want Benjamin May McKay to tweet out? What did you think of Worst World? What do you think of The Walking Dead? Let us know. You can send us a line on Facebook or send us an email, feedback.nerdout at gmail.com. All the links are in the description. And as always, if you have anything you want us to review, just send us the title and we'll check it out. I mean, it's almost January, Rob, and uh, all the TV shows are on hold. There's not many major cinema releases coming out, so we have some free time. We can have a look at whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, next thing we're looking forward to is, well, coming into the new year, obviously, we've got Sherlock coming up, season mm. four of Sherlock. 
So um, uh, I'm going to watch it, but I'm not looking forward to it. What about you, Andrew? <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, after Series 3, I, I have, I've kind of fallen off the Sherlock bandwagon. Um, I would say I'm looking forward to it because of performances, and it'll be the only thing on at that time, but uh, not really looking forward to it in terms of storyline. Is Moriarty back? I don't know. The Abominable Bride was a very weird show. Uh, we are going to be having a look at Sherlock week to week, because I think that show airs the day before we record. So it's, it's going to line up well. We're going to be able to uh, review that show week in, week out, and see what we think. Also, next episode, Doctor Who Christmas special. It's out. We'll be chatting about it. I'm going to the cinemas. Are you going to the cinemas to see it? I'm going to be in Sydney. So, unfortunately, I'm going to try, but I don't know whether or not I will uh, go to the cinemas well, to see it. Well, I may, I, may I may be mistaken, but I do believe they do have cinemas in Sydney as well. Really? So, <laughs> I'm definitely they going to are bigger and a lot more self-important, like most of <laughs> in Sydney. Um, <laughs> but um, you have to put up with the fact going, oh, well, we did it first, and um, we are the biggest city in Australia, and this is a great cinema, and... And, oh, did I, did I tell you about how, um, how happening it is here? Um, so you have to put up with that by the cinema um, while you're watching uh, Doctor Who, uh, The Return of Mysterio. But, you, you know, <laughs> judging by how Christmas specials have been over the last 10 years with Doctor Who, you may need a bit of distraction to get you through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is like an hour and a half long as well, so... We'll see how it goes. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, it's a full 90 minutes superhero extravaganza is how I've heard it being explained. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And until next time, make sure you nerd out. See ya. Bye. You were just listening to Nerd Out, episode 6, featuring Rob Lloyd and Sandra Felcher with special guest Benjamin Mayo McKay. This has been an improbable production. Feel free to contact us at feedback.nerdout at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook for any review recommendations or feedback. The links are in the description. The views expressed are those of the speaker and don't necessarily represent those of the other speakers or the network. The opening and closing music for this show is Denial by Dark Shadows. No copyright infringement was intended. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. What happened to the other Hemsworth? What happened to Stubbs? You know, let's see what season two brings about. <laughs> disposable Hemsworth. <laughs> the disposable Hemsworth. There we go. <laughs> he put his hand out to call for the hammer, but he wasn't worthy, so he was killed by a bunch of Ghost Nation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he was a rather interesting character. I'm sure that, that when, when it returns in two years' time that we'll get to see a little bit more of Hemsworth.